Dr. Joshua Rosenthal, MD, is both certified in holistic sleep. He is also an interventional thyroidologist. His quest for having ultimate health through sleep has brought him to study light, quantum physics, mitochondrial dynamics, epigenetics and circadian biology to fully understand how to create optimal health with biophysics. Working within this framework has opened up new ways of healing that were not part of his medical training but are highly important and effective for recreating wellness. With so many people struggling with endocrine disruption and thyroid dysfunction, this is a critical episode. We go into melatonin and whether it is the magical sleep supplement, how blue light toxicity increases inflammation, whether light box can help, what is the link between thyroid health, sleep and circadian rhythm, are men and women different in this area, how do you use light correctly for thyroid health, how is your skin connected to your circadian rhythm and what all can you do for a healthy endocrine system. As listeners, it really inspires us to put out great episodes and it inspires us to keep going when we see our downloads increasing each month. If you have any thoughts, if you'd like to be on the show, or if you have a suggestion for someone who should be on the show, do reach out to me at deepa at phytothrive.com. Here's a review from Apple Podcast from Anne Lemons who says, Unique Sleep Insights. The Sleep Whisperer podcast brings us new insights into sleep from a very holistic perspective. You will learn about different root causes to sleep disturbance with fantastic resources and strategies to support more restorative sleep. Highly recommend this podcast. And if you want to reach out to any of the guests who've been on the show, you can just click the links on the show notes and you can also subscribe to our newsletter www.phytothrive.com. Now take a listen to episode number 40 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Dr. Rosenthal, so happy to have you here today and uh, I wish our listeners could actually see us because we're both wearing blue light blockers 
And in fact, I must admit, as this is something that I've heard very new from you today, because I think the common belief is that you need to wear this after the sun goes down and nobody's telling you to wear it, uh, even if the sun hasn't come up and even if it's going to come up. And this is something which is for me like uh, a eureka moment today. So you can definitely see from this moment on, I'm going to be wearing this every morning when I'm at work. So thank you for this brilliant tip. And um, I'm so excited to have this conversation today on many levels, because one is that I'm, it's always a pleasure to meet an MD who's focused on a holistic approach. I think that is really the best intersection there is. Uh, and I'm also given that there are so many people with uh, thyroid dysfunction, uh, it's interesting to have somebody who's also specialized in thyroid health and you're focused on sleep medicine. So I think this is really the best space for our guests to be. So uh, what, what brought on this? I know we had a little discussion behind the scene about uh, sleep and uh, how the how sleep matters to circadian rhythm, how it matters to thyroid health, but it's not often, even today, with all the awareness of integrative health, to see a lot of MDs bringing this approach of uh, the importance of sleep. So, how did you end up in this space of so these these specific interactions? Sure. I mean, uh, it, it crosses professional and personal borders in that, um, you know, our training as physicians, we're up all night, you know, as a surgeon, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm both uh, board certified in sleep medicine and also otolaryngology, head and neck surgery. And that's where, you know, I kind of specialize in the thyroid, but the sleep medicine was kind of a separate thing. And that started later. But during the training as a surgeon, you know, you're up odd hours in the, in the OR, in the hospital, again, under lighting. And so, you know, what happens when you graduate residency is, you know, you're about 20, 30 pounds heavier. And uh, so, of course, um, you know, that was part of it is I realized, you know, I need to lose some weight. And of course, the first thing we all think of in mainstream is calories in, calories out. So I thought I need to eat less or exercise more. At the time, I said, well, I don't have enough time to exercise, so I'll eat less. Um, and it didn't work out well for myself as it doesn't for many people. Uh, I was able to lose weight, but I, I really did not look well. It's one of those things where people say you're skinny fat. You know, yeah. in other words, you're losing weight in the wrong places, but you're also a lot of times destroying your hormones because your hormones are really what give you the body composition. So you know, we're going to talk about hormones a little bit more. But so I realized that wasn't right. And, uh, you know, on the professional side as a sleep doctor, you know, one of the great things about sleep medicine, it's a really large field, but it, it bottlenecks through one very simple test, which is the sleep test, you know, some sort of polysomnography, hopefully, but although now it thinks a lot of home sleep testing, but so there's only one test. So the beauty here is every patient that comes to me and says, I can't sleep doctor, figure this out. And I do this test. I should be able to figure it out because there's only one test. It's not like I have to be so, so, uh, you know, uh, crazy uh, smart that I have to figure out which one of these thousand tests to order. Everybody gets the same test pretty much. I mean, there's some variation in there. So after going through all these tests and reviewing them and, uh, you know, every patient that told me they slept terribly should have had some finding that I could then help them with. 
but really I was just picking and skimming off the top to sleep apnea and the common diseases that we, we talk about. But I had all these people that I would send out of my office saying, great news, it's fine. But it wasn't fine. They came to me because they weren't fine. So it kind of, there was this dichotomy. I knew I was failing the patient, but yet I didn't have an answer. And so I was destined to figure out how do I get to the answer? There's an answer to this. I have to figure it out. Um, and so I knew that looking at these sleep studies over time, I could figure this out. Like there had to be a common thread. And um, so fast forward, you know, after, you know, years of looking at these and being curious, I started to notice, yes, there are some common threads. People who are not getting all the stages of sleep, they're not getting into deep sleep, they're not getting into dream sleep. And I said, well, how do we manipulate that? That's not anything that was part of my training. And so um, that was when I started looking for, you know, uh, a way to intervene and change, make, make more dream sleep, make more deep sleep. And so I actually um, started with a home device that was a consumer level device called the Zio headband. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but oh. if you Google that, you know, if you're interested in sleep, uh, you know, and tech and things like that. It was basically a, a, a headband that had like an EEG sensors and it would read the stages of sleep. And so I would play around trying to see how I could manipulate my sleep with what I did, with what I ate, with supplements and different things. And so I was doing the citizen science, trying to figure it out. And uh, one day I stumbled across a video that kind of changed my life because it said vitamin D um, is related to headaches and sleep apnea. And I didn't know how that migraines and sleep apnea, I didn't see the connection. And I said, well, what are they talking about? And that kind of opened a new, uh, a new door for me. And I said, vitamin D, I haven't really been trained well to manage that as part of this, but yet all the sleep disorders have low vitamin D levels, generally, if you look. Uh, so I started playing around with vitamin D and, uh, you know, high dose vitamin D. And you'll see that some people will instantly start to sleep better. Mm. But there's a lot of people that don't. And so, again, I'm still curious. And so what I eventually realized was vitamin D is a light story. Mm. How do you make vitamin D? You don't make it by taking five you know, pills a day, uh, and you can't eat enough fish and, you know, things to, you know, mushrooms to, to get the vitamin D. You'll get some, sure. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you look at the studies of, um, like, Aboriginal peoples who spent their time in the sun, their vitamin D levels can be, you know, 80 to 100. That's the American scale. I don't know if there's different scales, but so um, I think that's the nanograms per liter. But anyhow, um, so, and most of our, our Americans uh, that we test are, are we're finding under 30. And so yeah. what's the right vitamin D level? How do you get more vitamin D? And then you realize, oh, wait a second, I need to be getting more of it the way humans have always gotten it. And that was with sunlight. So then I said, well, what do I know about light? And then so you start looking and then you find out that, well, light controls the circadian rhythms. That's what everybody learns. They call them zeitgeivers, right? So Zeitgeber means light giver. And so light controls the circadian rhythm. They say, wait a second, circadian rhythms, I'm trying to affect the sleep stages. The light controls the sleep. So wait a second, could it be that the light that I get exposed to during the day is affecting how I sleep at night? But wait a second, it's not just the light during the day because we just acknowledge that both of us have lives that we're in front of screens. The sun may be down, but here we are in front of a screen. Well, what happens when we do that? Mm -hmm. And I thought about and really dug deep and um, 
So the first thing I started with, and, and here they are, you know, probably about a $10 pair of glasses you're wearing, we're wearing kind of fancier looking ones, but I started and I don't know how they show up on the screen, but yeah. these things look like construction worker type goggles. I think I bought them for about 10 or, you know, $15. And I just started wearing them when I was on the computer at night. Mm. Okay. Before bedtime. And, um, so this gets back to that personal weight store. So now all I did differently was I was, you know, doing computer work for, you know, uh, my practice, uh, after hours, before bed, all I did was put these glasses on when I was on a computer. And in three months, I had lost eight pounds. Wow. I didn't change my diet and I didn't exercise. I thought, hmm, that's pretty interesting. And the other thing, I happened to check some labs because I was due for about a year checkup. And what did I find? I found that my testosterone was higher. I found that markers of inflammation were better. I so found all these one. things, my insulin, you know, my insulin, not as insulin, but my glucose numbers, my, you know, hemoglobin A1C, things were better. And I said, well, wait a second, I haven't changed my diet really. All I did was wear these glasses for a couple of hours a night. And I said, could it be that there's more to this than I knew about? And, uh, you know, the, the research is really dramatic. And, and when you understand that the melanopsin receptor, which is the receptor that senses blue light, it's been found not only in your eye, which is where it connects to the main clock in your brain, it's on your skin, it's in your blood vessels, and it's in your fat. And that's all we've found so far. I will predict that we'll find this in every organ of our body when we finally look that deeply. And so... Since there's a clock in every gene of our body, your body always needs to know what time it is before it starts to make the donuts. So now we start to realize, okay, wait a second. This is a big deal because we're all sitting in front of artificial light devices that emit a very high frequency of blue light. And until you see it, now I don't, you know, this is being recorded, I know audio, but I have a spectrometer. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I'm gonna actually show you that my screen here that I'm looking at you with has software on it to knock out some of the blue light. But I'm gonna show you here, and I don't know how well this will come across. Mm. You can see. Yes, I can okay. see that. So now going left to right, or sorry, right to left, because I'm just doing this by memory. The red yeah. is on the right, blue is gonna be all the way on the left. You see yes. a huge spike of red because my screen right now is is in night mode. So it's going to be pretty red. And at the very left is a little bump. That bump is in the blue frequency. Now, right. typically on a typical computer screen, the bump of blue would look like the bump of red. It would be huge. And the amount of red light would be very little to none. And so what, what I'm trying to make note of is that my screen is completely flipped of what most computer screens are going to be like. And so what does it mean when you sit in front of an all blue light screen essentially? And we think of light as just light, but it's those colors of the rainbow. And that frequency of blue light between 400 and 500 nanometers, any light in that frequency turns on the melanopsin receptor and says, hey, stuff's happening. Yeah, and now most computer screens are a color temperature of about 5,000 Kelvin. Um, which five, 6,000 Kelvin, that usually doesn't happen until noon of the day. So let's just think about this for a second. If we go on to check our email or, you know, in my case, I was doing notes on the computer, some, you know, physician work. 
before I put my head on the pillow, what's going to happen? I just told my brain, essentially, it was noon. And this is kind of, you know, I'm turning this into lay speak. But wait a second, that doesn't sound like a smart idea. Because then when I go to sleep, I don't really get a restful sleep. And I'm kind of wired and tired all at the same time. Blue light is very stimulating on the nervous system. And so you can't fall asleep so well. You wake up the next day, you don't feel as good. And when I started using the glasses, I would fall right asleep. I would be yawning while I was finishing my notes. I would wake up the next morning and feel well. And then you start saying, well, wait a second, is how deep could this go? And the connections to the circadian rhythms. I mean, just Google, you know, if any of your listeners are out there, take whatever diseases you have tonight, when you get, after you listen to this podcast and go ahead and Google the word circadian and whatever disease it is, you could put liver disease, you could put, you know, whatever. And you will find a lot of research. Now it's not all clinical. A lot of it is desktop laboratory type scientific studies and they're doing it with all the chemicals but they're showing that they're connected. But yet here we are as clinicians, we're not connecting the dots that, wait a second, if the circadian rhythm controls whether the liver works properly or not, if you have liver disease then isn't the cause related to a broken circadian rhythm. And that's where there's a disconnect. Wow. And that goes for anything with the hormones. Why? You know, we want to talk about how does it connect to your thyroid? Well, it's real simple. Since the eyes connect to the brain clock, the SCN or the suprachiasmatic nucleus, and I'm, this is for listeners who don't know, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but since the eye connects to that clock, that clock then connects to your um, hypothalamus, and your pituitary axis. And everybody's concerned about their adrenals and adrenal fatigue and you know things like that and the thyroid. And well, just realize that the pituitary controls and the hypothalamus control all these hormones and control the... So how does this work? When you see light in the morning, you turn on the cycle. You tell your pituitary, hey, make these chemicals. Sometimes certain lights tell your body, stop making these chemicals because you don't want to just keep making donuts forever and ever and ever. It's like the I Love Lucy, you know, anyone who's seen I Love Lucy where the chocolate episode, the chocolates keep coming out and they just can't keep up with it. Yeah. So how do you burn out your adrenals? All you have to do is sit in front of blue light 24 seven and tell your body you're in a stressful mode and never give it a break. And that's the Lucy, I Love Lucy chocolate factory. And there's your explanation for adrenal fatigue. It's, it's a circadian rhythm disorder because what controls your adrenal glands? your hypothalamus and pituitary. And we all know that because we call that the HPA access. So the treatment of adrenal fatigue, if it does not consist of some sort of circadian regulation and, and rehabilitation, which is what we're doing by both protecting our eyes in the after hours of either pre-dawn or post-sunset or pre-sunrise, pre post-sunset, um, by protecting our, the light, uh, the blue light from those periods, we allow these cycles to, to, to work properly. And um, the final piece I'll give you just to kind of stress how important this is, is the whole regenerative pathways of autophagy and, and apoptosis are controlled by these mechanisms. So what did I just say? For those who don't know what any of those words mean, yes. you can't repair your body if you don't sleep right. And we all know that inherently, but how do you sleep right? Well, what we're doing right now is setting up ourselves to sleep right. And, uh, you know, we could go into a diatribe on melatonin from here. I mean, you know, that that's another way to talk about how to understand this. 
And I also want to ask you, Dr. Rosenthal, because there are so many people, do you believe that somebody is inherently the night owl and doesn't need sleep at night? They need to sleep during the day? And yeah, so there, there's a lot of talk about um, these phenotypes or chronotypes, as they talk about them, yes. of, of people that, you know, uh, and there's another system where they talk about night owl or there's other, you know, bear, lion and all yes. that. Uh, yes. I don't think any of that matters what you call it. Obviously it's early risers and, and late night people. Here's my opinion on this. And, and I, I, I don't believe there are phenotypes like that. What do I mean when I say that or chronotypes? I believe that we all have a natural circadian clock that's designed to fit nature's sunrise and sunset. Since we all decide to break that by living in boxes with artificial lights, we are putting stress on the clock mm. and the clock is going to break. Well, how does it break? Well, it breaks in different ways. Okay. Uh, and the reason I say, I don't think there's a tendency for this is we know that teenagers tend to become uh, circadian delayed. They become late night. Yes. And we also know that elderly become circadian early or shifted early. But let's just think about the lifestyle of a teenager. Teenagers stay out late at night. And even when we were kids, that light, even though it doesn't have as much blue light, was still a breaking of circadian rhythm. And so what does that do? It makes you want to wake up later. It makes you not want to go to sleep early. And so you get in the habit, and that's why teenagers don't want to get up in the morning. Now let's talk about the elderly. The elderly tend to have diseases that make them wake up. They go to the bathroom, they turn on the light, they, you know, whatever, or their sleep is, is already failing a little bit. So they turn on lights, and again, once you turn on the light, you've now said, shift my clock earlier, clock, please shift it earlier. And so that's a repetitive pattern. And then they just get in that pattern. So is that really a chronotype? Is that a genetic predisposition? There are genes that seem to be associated with these things. So I'm not going to say, but I think these are all adaptations to a bad light environment. These are not, you know, these are not genetic tendencies. This is what happens when you stress the system. This is how you'll, your body will try to adapt. Yes, in fact, I've actually believed the very same thing. And I feel that all these chronotypes actually have something going on, which is making them predisposed towards that. And actually, you're the very first person I've asked this to who has been, uh, who said the same thing that I've inherently believed. So I'm so happy to hear something. No, great. I think that's, you know, I think it's, it's convenient to give somebody a label, say, oh, you're a night owl. That's why yes. this is. But it's harder to say you make bad lifestyle choices that have caused you to be this way. But that's that's what I think the truth is. So what would you say about somebody who says I have no choice because my work demands that I work through the night? Uh, in that case, what would what would be the solution? Yeah. So the choice is uh, you have to decide whether you would consider wearing some funky glasses that would yes. help to keep and maintain the proper circadian rhythms. Um, and there's always small mitigation things you can do. You know, I mean, look, um, I had a patient that I took care of for a long time and he worked the night shift. And I told him every time I saw him, I said, the night shift is killing you. The night shift is killing you. I just want you to know that. He said, I know, I know, doc, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And uh, one day he came in and he said, I got great news for you, doc. I, I got rid of that job and, I, and I'm now working day shift. And I said, you know, congratulations. You had young daughters. I said, you're going to see your kids, you know, get married and graduate. And this is great news because 
you have a choice. You know what I mean? It's you're choosing money over your health. Hey, that's okay. As long as you understand what you're choosing, I, I'm who am I to tell you what to do? I'm just a, you know, an educator. I mean, that's really what doctors are. We're educators. Yes. You know, um, so people can still smoke a cigarette. We know that causes lung cancer. That's okay. As long as there's a label on the box, that's great. There's no label on your computer screen or your cell phone that says this device emits blue light and can cause diabetes, heart disease, uh, breast cancer, prostate cancer. It doesn't say that. So you don't realize that. So it's our job, people like us that are going to hopefully continue to spread this message and help people to adapt. Yes, I, I mean, I think we're still far away from anything like that, where our, we're going to get advice with our device about these things. Uh, but at least I'm so happy to see that so many MDs who are focused on being advocates for this. And I've learned so many new things just from our conversation so far. But I do want to talk a little bit in detail about melatonin with you because um, I hear so many things and I do see this trend that people believe that no matter what's going on outside, if they take a melatonin supplement, then everything's going to be fixed. And then they tell me, but I've taken melatonin and my sleep is not better. My health is not better. And that's also because they're not doing anything else. So let's talk melatonin because is it uh, going to be helpful for everybody. Do you focus more on getting the body to increase its own production of melatonin over just sub telling somebody to take a supplement? So what are your thoughts on melatonin? So every hormone that we have in our body, and I'm going to label melatonin as a hormone, because again, just because you can buy it over the counter doesn't mean it's not a hormone. Vitamin D is a hormone. So these are, we don't think of them in the proper sense, but Anything that's a hormone, when you take it exogenously or you take it outside of your body, into your body, your body will suppress the manufacture of it because they're coupled systems. I mean, really, the thing that sleep medicine should teach us all is everything is coupled. Yeah. You know, night and day, male and female. I mean, you know, yin and yang. I mean, these things, there's a reason these things have, you know, the duality of life has pervaded because every light and dark, they uh -huh. always come in opposites. And... Um, so melatonin, when you take it, your body is designed to have just the right amount. When you take it, if you take a little bit too much, your body can say, hey, that's too much. Don't make so much next time. It's just like the thyroid. You know, no, every woman would ask me, oh, can I get a little extra thyroid hormone? Because they think that's going to help them lose weight. And so they know their metabolism is slow. But we all know that if you take too much thyroid hormone, your body suppresses this, the stimulating hormone in response. Okay, so it bodies, this is what we had made too much, slow down. Yeah. So it's all coupled. And so melatonin is no different. You want to make it internally. And the reason you want to make it internally, uh, the easy, I think the easiest way to understand this is the dose, you know, makes the, the, the poison, you know, how much melatonin should you take? So uh, I don't think this has ever been studied adequately because, you know, you'd have to drill a hole in your brain and try to figure out what the intracranial melatonin levels are. But I believe the best estimates are it's around one milligram or less that we make. Okay. And remember, it's not just in the brain. It's distributed in every cell of your body because melatonin controls a really important thing, which I don't know if we're able to get to today, but mitochondrial heteroplasmy, the, the ability of the mitochondria to regenerate. 
Uh, and that's really important on a cellular level. So this is not just in my brain, it's on every part of my body. So when you really realize how do I make sure I have the right amount in every cell, let alone my brain, you realize that's a really challenging problem to figure out and to put a pill in my stomach and hope that the right amount gets to every spot it needs, that's a challenge. But what dose do you find over the counter? Now, it used to be you could get three milligrams. Now, that'd be three times potentially the dose that you make. Yes. Most of the time now, I think it's five and 10 milligrams. Yes. And I think they're making higher pills now because that's why, you know, people will sometimes get a result the first three to six months, but then they develop a tolerance. Why? Because the body's smart. It's, it's not getting fooled for that long. And then it says, wait a second, this is too much. And it starts to then shut the receptors down because it says we shouldn't be getting stimulated this intensely every night. And so then you increase the dose, increase the dose. I mean, this is not a good, this is a, you know, a, a disaster. You know, this is like, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up to not be able to ever make melatonin if you keep doing that. And uh, what did you, th what do you think about, there are some studies which point towards melatonin supplements causing some sort of uh, dream states and um, weird dreams. Have you heard about anything like that? Well, you know, melatonin connects to, I don't know if you know anything about the DMT. No. Uh, but yeah, so the pineal gland makes a bunch of important chemicals and, um, and not that I'm suggesting people take DMT, you know, it's a, considered a drug and, and some of the, the you know, like LSD and these psycho, you know, active drugs, they, they stimulate these sort of, sort of pathways. But these are chemicals that create, you know, much different experiences than we're used to. And so, I, and they're also, I think, some of the chemicals that are uh, suggested in, in lucid dreaming and things like that. And so, well, I mean, I would just say at, at the most basic level, melatonin, at the appropriate levels is required to have appropriate dream sleep. So some people will go from, cause I've seen people when, you know, especially with sleep apnea, where they'll get no dream sleep and you put them on a treatment and all of a sudden they hit dream sleep. So they'll go from no dreams to dreams overnight. So anything that does that is gonna really seem uh, like a major change to somebody. But um, yeah, I do think probably a, a strong level of melatonin is probably a threshold where it'll do a little extra, you know, but again, this is not super well studied and there's no way to know what that tiny dose. And I don't recommend trying to do that with pills. I would again, recommend doing that by getting the appropriate amount of uh, sun exposure in the morning because the melatonin is made in the retina in the morning uh, with light frequencies that exist at the, at the sunrise and then blocking blue light, which is one of the greatest suppressors of, uh, of melatonin from a light standpoint that we know of. But you know EMF and, and things in cell phone radiation, those two, they've been shown to suppress uh, melatonin. So we have a lot of things attacking melatonin. Yeah. And that's why I think melatonin is always gonna be a buzzword about, oh, take it, take it, because that's one of the biggest things that we're subtracting from our lives. And, and we don't need a melatonin pill. We need to change our lifestyle so that we can build up the melatonin naturally. Yeah. Um, and that's a two-step process. It's not just blocking blue light at night. See, melatonin's made in the sun and it's activated at night. It's, it's kind of a unique thing in that it's not just take it at night. It's you, you, you prepare during the day and that first light that you see helps too. So this is why I hope that now, you know, since you're up early in the morning, you'll make sure you take those glasses off when the sun rises and get outside because that will help to increase your melatonin levels. 
you know in fact we i go i climb up on my roof when the sun comes up and i sit on my roof in the sunlight for a little bit of time we all do that every single day so that natural sunlight is something we really do make an effort to yeah. always get but i do want to also ask you in this same note then do you advise that somebody who's sitting and working on their device all day long typically they tend to turn the backlight of their device to orange only when the sun goes down do you advise is that they keep it orange all the time so um you, you know your your body was designed to see blue light during the day um okay. so, you know, obviously blue light only exists during you know daylight hours um the problem is is it's the um it's the way it really works is that the blue light was meant to be in combination with the red light from the sun and the sun has about you know 40 to 50% red and infrared light in the in the spectrum that kind of helps to counter and offset some of the deleterious effects of blue light. But nature was really smart. Nature decided I'm going to use this blue light even though it has a way of creating some bad things. If I can put some light in there that can offset that, I can use this almost like as a switch to turn things on and off. And as long as I can counter some of the bad effects of the blue light with the red light, I can make sure that this actually all works in harmony. The problem is is all these light devices they've removed the, the red and the blue light is four times as much often as what you would naturally see. So it's this imbalance of the two colors of and the frequencies of light and a lot of these programs it turns on. That's why you want to see the appropriate blue and red light in the morning sunrise because that's a very specific dose of blue to red light. Mm. You know, if you look at the course of the day, the color temperature changes very drastically from sunrise to sunset. And sunrise and sunset you would think are the exact same thing, but no, actually there's a lot more blue light in sunset than there is in sunrise. And so again, to think that we can get this right, say oh, but blue light is alerting, so I'm going to sit in front of an artificial blue light box and that's going to turn on and that's going to make me feel better. But it's the dose that makes the poison and it's not just a blue light story. It's every color of the rainbow and it's the right ratios and it's the change gradually across the day and so we're missing all those subtle features when we just stare at a screen that has one color temperature four times the blue light no red 24/7 24/7 it's totally destructive so what would your advice actually be so the answer is is i think you know you have to be smart about it because one there is mitigating the that what i will call um you know too much blue light so you want to create a less of a blue light you know blue light toxicity is a word we use so less blue light toxicity you want to mitigate that and so you know i have software on my computer i have you know a, a screen on my phone i will do uh for iPhones you can do it you know there's like a triple click or i don't know i have such an old iPhone now but you know there's a way to make the screen turn red right so the more red light you have the better because we just said that the main problem with most screens is that it's too much blue and not enough red. And so I showed you which your listeners didn't maybe get to see is my screen right now is a little bit of blue with a lot of red. Mm. Um and that's much better than what the typical story is which is it's completely flip-flop. Is that ideal? No, because right now there should be no blue light on my eye skin or anywhere. But I'm protecting my eyes. So, you know, the one thing is 
it's easier to protect your body than to change every light fixture in your house, at least when you're starting out. So I believe in mitigating with software for the computer with, you know, going red on, you know, or blue light filters, you know, the, the stock filters for iPhone to get rid of blue light are not that good. And I think Android's a little bit better, but the bottom line is, is these details matter. That's why I have a spectrometer. I want to measure because any light in that 500 to 400 nanometer category is associated with a blue light hazard, which means you're creating reactive oxygen species, which is I translated that for listeners, you're creating inflammation and inflammation is the beginning of disease. So once you do create inflammation over and over and over again, chronically, that's how you end up with disease. So can everybody get themselves a spectrometer to measure this and then figure out um, what to do? Well, so I'll tell you, I mean, I think, I don't think that's a great investment of money for somebody who wants to get better. I mean, I would much rather see someone say, I'm gonna go buy uh, some software for my computer because my work keeps me on the computer. I'm gonna go buy some blue light blocking glasses because for the same price, you can protect yourself. I'm telling you, and obviously once you get into this, the light's there, we know it's bad and it helps to see it. And obviously as you become more savvy, the more you can see and the more you can understand the spectrum of light you're being exposed to, the more you can control it. But it, it is also kind of very straightforward in that nature designed us for no light. The next best thing after that would be fire or candlelight. Mm. As I go up this list, this is getting worse. So even though you say the next best thing, because I, I know we need to do this podcast so you could see me, I have a light on. That's an incandescent yes, light. Yes, but I also yes. have a candle lit here. So um, now above incandescent, all the lights above incandescent have, a, have subtracted the red and increased the blue. So we're talking about compact fluorescent, fluorescent, LED, halogen i know with the cars at night driving is those lights just i mean they just hit you like a ton of bricks especially once you get your circadian rhythms in order you will say holy moly what is up with these lights but you don't realize it and i didn't realize it five ten years ago when you know when i was driving um sure there's a lot more xenon light bulbs probably in cars but those are very very strong blue light uh, emitting uh, light bulbs so it's a, it's a level of sophistication at the first step start wherever you are, get a pair of glasses, slap them on your face. When the sun isn't out, put the glasses on. That's the simplest way to start. The next step, get in the sun as much as you can. Take a sun break. You know, people take smoke breaks, go outside for five minutes every time you can, you know, uh, instead of going for coffee or say you gotta go get your coffee if your coffee is outside, whatever. That little sun exposure is helping to wind the clock. And when you do this repetitively over and over and over again, um, it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I'm working with somebody right now, um, you know, a nurse and, uh, you know, in two weeks, uh, you know, and she has a lot of, a lot of other more serious medical problems, but just by getting morning sun and wearing a pair of glasses in two weeks, her mood and energy changed. There were no drugs involved, no medicines, no supplements, nothing. So just do it. Uh, well, before, I, I do want to discuss a little bit about hormones, but I want to ask you what are your opinion on uh, light boxes? Because there's a lot of people using the light box yeah. to restore circadian rhythm. Because I've heard you speaking a lot about getting out in the sun and most people are talking about using a light box. So what are your thoughts on that? So, um, you know, I'm in the winter too. And... Um, 
you know, obviously seasonal affect disorder, this is a real thing. And uh, it's really, um, it's, it's a very clear cut circadian disease. And that when you subtract out the little bit of the sun that most people get in the summer, which isn't a lot, I'm gonna tell you, and you get into the winter when the power of the sun, you know, and it's the UVB light. And again, this is a vitamin D story too. Yeah. Um, when you take that stuff away, that means that people are living on a thread and they don't have the kind of light information. You know, the one thing I would want a listener to hear is that light is energy and information. It's energy and information. And the energy changes seasonally and so does the information. Uh, and so a light box, you know, so blue light is stimulating. Blue light will wake you up and it will set your circadian rhythms. We've been talking about that, but Again, it's those ratios. And most of those light boxes are not a full spectrum light, meaning they do not imitate the sun. Because there really aren't any great light bulbs that imitate the sun, to be honest, right? You know, I mean, there are ways of doing it, but they all have some limitations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do I think that a light box in the winter for someone with SAD or seasonal affect disorder is actually hurting their body in the long run? I do. Have I seen published research on that? No. But I can tell you, based on my understanding of the way the circadian rhythm and the melanopsin receptor works, you are creating extra free radicals, and that is going to cause damage that in the long run is going to hurt you. You may be stimulated and awake in the morning and more alert during the day, but that's going to come at a cost. Yeah. Uh, and really, if you think about it, that's what we're all doing. We're sitting in front of a light box 24-7. It's called our phone and computer. And how is that affecting people's sleep? And we have a major sleep problem, you know, in this in this world globally. This is not just my, you know, not just my country. I mean, every country. Yes. Why is Starbucks so popular? Why, you know, why are carbohydrates so popular? Why do people, why are they addicted to sugar and carbs? Well, blue light causes you to be addicted to sugar and carbs. Blue light causes you to get crappy sleep and makes you need something to keep you awake, which is why Starbucks. So in other words, always time you start looking around, why did these stores all appear selling these, selling more sugar and selling more coffee? Because we're blue light addicts, all of us. You know, it, it's really when you see the picture, you start saying, oh, this all makes sense. <laughs> In fact, I'm surprised people, more people don't feel as if they've been fooled. It seems like this big, big picture, you're so right. And I want to bring your, before we end, I want to definitely discuss a little bit about the intersection between thyroid health, sleep and circadian rhythm, uh, given that you are the expert in all these areas. So I do want to go into both. Is this a bi-directional axis? Do you find that uh, poor circadian rhythm impacts someone's ability to restore balance in thyroid function? And then if somebody has thyroid uh, dysfunction, is that causing them to have sleep challenges? So where do, what, what is the picture that you see over there? And what do you typically, uh, what's the approach that you take with your patients? Sure. So um, I'll say a couple of things. Some of the things I'm about to say are, you know, some of my opinion, because again, some of this stuff is not studied to my satisfaction, but I think, you know, yes. in talking about what we talked about, I think it will make sense. And so, um, so I, I can see you, and again, for listeners who can only hear, I can see most of your neck. I'm telling that to the listener for a very specific reason, because your thyroid is located, uh, you know, uh, in a lower in the neck, and for 
a woman and you're wearing, you're not wearing a revealing top, you're wearing a normal kind of circular cut top, I would say about two thirds of your thyroid is exposed um, based on your, your collar. Now I'm wearing a button down and I'm gonna lift up a little bit. Um, I would say very little of my thyroid is actually exposed. And because a man's thyroid tends to sit also a little bit lower and sometimes actually goes below the clavicle a little more frequently. So the anatomy of a male and a female is a little bit different. And so I want, I want you to remember what we started talking about. The melanopsin receptor is found in the skin. Yes. The blood vessels and the fat tissue. Mm. Now, here's a really interesting note is blue light can penetrate quite a bit through the skin. UV light, which we talk about, which makes vitamin D, doesn't penetrate very much at all through the skin. But blue light can penetrate quite far in, at least far enough to get to the fat and some of the blood vessels. Mm. So now the way melanopsin works is melanopsin, when stimulated, converts vitamin A to free, re free retinol. And so the point is, is it creates a chemical that again can cause damage and that can trans translate through the blood and potentially get to the thyroid. So this is, again, I'm, what I'm talking about is, is conjecture and opinion yes. based on mechanisms that are soundly established, but no one has studied this particular mechanism. So I just want to make that clear to any listener here. But what I just suggested is that our screen exposure to our necks may indeed be a potential cause for why we have so much more thyroid dysfunction um, as a possibility. And again, not been studied, but I can tell you the other way is that it could go through the, the, the clock to the hypothalamus, to the pituitary, to the thyroid. And that by chronically um, under stimulating, so in other words, if you don't have the right fruit in the morning to tell the thyroid to make a good amount of thyroid, you, you will lose that ability and you will underperform in making that. And the other problem is, um, you know, that leptin, which is another hormone that comes in, helps to kind of balance some of these things. And guess what gets destroyed? Leptin signaling gets destroyed when you're circadian rhythm and blue light, you know, you know, bathing in blue light all day. So there's multiple avenues that this can come in and start to hurt this hormonal production of the thyroid. Um, but, um, you know, the fact that the neck is exposed more in women, and this is a much bigger problem in women than men, although I will tell you, I see this more in men, you know, I've seen this more in men over the past decade than I used to. So even that I'm saying, I think we're seeing, you know, an uptick because enough men, you know, you wear, and I think, you know, we all go casual Friday. So now we're wearing more open shirts and exposing our necks more. We used to be all buttoned up and you know, mm. covered. So I think again, that's more of something that, uh, you know, an epidemiologist could come along and maybe show that these numbers correlate to fashion habits of our neck. Uh, I don't know how well they could do that study, but these are some of the issues. Now, we do know that Hashimoto's thyroiditis, there are a few studies showing that red light therapy on the thyroid gland can decrease uh, antibodies, you know, the autoantibodies. Yeah. Again, that goes along with what I just told you, because red light exactly. is blue. So if red light antidote to blue, if we get too much blue light and it maybe makes our thyroid dysfunctional, if we add more red light, that's the antidote and it gets better. I mean, again, that would support what I just said. So there, there, there is definitely a concern about that. And it's very easy. You could take a scarf and wrap it around your neck when you're in, in the, in, you know, and, and voila, you've now covered your neck. Yeah. So whenever you're covering your eyes, you probably want to think about your neck. So again, that's another... Another tip you can add to your repertoire. In fact, what I really appreciate from our conversation is that 
most of the practical takeaways that you offer are things that everybody can apply starting today. They don't expensive. need to go somewhere. They don't need to spend a lot of money, which yeah. is really good. And I must say that I don't have uh, challenges with thyroid health, but uh, today is the first day I'm actually sitting here with this top because it's a bit cold. So every day when I'm working, I have a scarf wrapped around Good. my neck. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's only when I go out in the sun and it gets a little warm that I remove it. So I think you're saying that women should actually also do that. So when they're out, maybe some amount of conscious time in the sun where they expose the neck to that natural sunlight while covering uh, it when they're working on their device. Well, look, uh, we, were all born, we were born without any of this external clothing. Yes. You know, our, our photoreceptors are all over all our body. We just culturally have decided to only allow certain parts of the solar panel out on a regular basis. But that's not how nature designed us. So you need to consider that and, you know, get more skin in the game because that skin can turn around these cells. And nature didn't design our devices either. So we have to find a way to- uh, Yeah, a friend system. of mine had a, has a meme that I love. And he says, humans are the only species smart enough um, to, you know, to break nature's design. You know, I mean, that's really, you know, we've decided that we think we know better. We can live in a box with, you know, all this artificial stuff and we've completely changed our environment. And I think if there's one thing I would say that it is a, on one hand, a really gleaming, uh, you know, a gleam of hope for us is that we can control our environment. And most of the genetics, it's all epigenetics. It's really not about your genes. Your genes interact with the environment. And so if you're out there and you have a problem, the good news is that it's not genetic. You are not destined. There are some genetic diseases, but this is appropriate for about 85% of people out there. You know, your genes are interacting with something that you did. And uh, so if you change what you do every day and change the environment, and I'm including light that you're being exposed to and, and all kinds of other frequencies, you change that, you can change your, 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 your genes essentially. And uh, what would you say, since you did say that the melanopsin cells are on the skin, I mean, I'm reminded of uh, sunbathing on the beaches or, I mean, I would say that if you're in your own home and you have a little space on your terrace where you get some sunlight, just wear as little clothing as possible and get some natural daylight on your skin. Uh, but yeah, then there's I mean, the whole pack. But there's yeah, a whole the, panic of UV rays and... Yes, there is. And um, I don't like to get into that debate about, you know, does UV light cause skin cancer? And that doesn't really matter for this because ultimately humans have evolved under the sun yes. uh, for the last 60 million years. The sun, if the sun was this terrible cancer-causing ball of rays, we would have not evolved into the human species. But can you overuse anything that's good for you? Of course. So sensible sun exposure. Now, the big problem is that we all go out in August for 24 hours in the sun on vacation and get French fried. You know, that's not how nature designed us. In May, in at least in America, obviously, you know, seasons may be different, but in May, the UV index is not that strong. And if you go out every day in April and May and June, you will build up the ability to absorb light better when 
July, August comes, you know? And so yes. you have to build this up just like a callus on your finger if you're playing guitar, you know, you know, your skin is soft. And then after you play for a while, you build up that callus. So you have to build up the, the ability of your skin to, to tolerate it. And so, you know, there's uh, like the D-Minder app for the phone is a great way of assessing your skin type and how much sun exposure based on the UV index at the time. So there are things to help you learn how to do this sensibly. So don't just go out and, you know, get French fried. I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but, you know, going out for small bits and extending that, uh, you know, slowly is, is how nature designed us. And what are your thoughts? Because there are so many people in India who are still today using a lot of fairness creams and sunscreens. And what are your thoughts on how those have long-term effect on hormones and thyroid health, yeah. circadian rhythm? They're not well studied. That's the first thing that should be concerning. Um, yeah. You know, I love the line that, uh, I don't know who originally coined it, but don't put anything on your skin that you wouldn't eat because the skin absorbs these chemicals. Yeah. And so, I know I wouldn't want to eat sunscreen. Um, the thing about sunscreen is there, there's, a, there's an analysis um, that was done in a, a dermatology journal that showed that the sunscreen use did not lower skin cancer incidence. Um, I mean, that should be, you know, look, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, you know, sunscreen became the thing to do and everybody's been listening, in my opinion. If you go to the beach today versus when I was a kid, yeah. People were in bikinis and had tan bodies and now everybody's white with shirts and hats and, and tents and canopies and completely white with sun, sunscreen. Um, people are listening. Uh, I haven't seen as a physician, I'm not a dermatologist, so this is, but I haven't seen any reports showing that we're, we're, we're having less skin cancer. In other words, if the treatment for skin cancer is sunscreen blocking the sun, then we should see less of it. I just haven't seen that. So I'm not you know, suggesting I'm an expert on this, but it's a very simple, logical question. If, if this is the solution, we've done that, haven't we? You know, so then why aren't we seeing the, the results? And so you know, what did Einstein say? If you do the same thing over and over again, expect different results, that's a definition of insanity. So if we keep putting sunscreen on and thinking this is blocking it, but yet the, the skin cancer is increasing, we're doing something wrong. We gotta try something different. I wish we could go on and on for another hour, but I want to respect your time. So quickly, just what would your final advice be for somebody who is having some challenges with endocrine health? So it could be thyroid, it could be anything, um, uh, sex hormone balance and being estrogen dominant. You did yeah. mention men where just the blue light blocker and your testosterone levels went up and uh, testosterone, I know that a lot of people think that it's just related to libido, or, but it's involved in so much of health. And that's why when it starts going down, it impacts so many things. So what would your f advice be to uh, some practical tips that uh, people could apply today without actually needing to go to a physician or um, what would those tips be for them? Well, again, you know, I would say, look, if you have some sort of hormonal imbalances, make sure you do have the care of a physician to make sure yes, there's no paper problems, of course. But, yes. you know, what do you do when you say, okay, I've been to the doctor. He says, I don't have a brain tumor. I don't have a this. I don't have a that. But there's really no answer. I mean, I, I will say this. I don't think there's any disease out there that if you 
reestablish the proper circadian rhythms that with enough time, now that's the big if, how much time is it? I don't know what that is, but with enough time, your body, if you gave it the right environment, can start to try to heal. So what is that first steps for somebody? Well, like I said, you need to see the morning sun and you can make lots of excuses, oh my this, my that, figure out how to make that work for you. I mean, that's part of what I think we do as, you know, as people that, you know, health practitioners that are helping with sleep is we have to figure this out. We, we know that the answer is, is maybe you need to quit your job, but you're not ready for that yet. So I have to come up with a solution that's an intermediary between that. Okay, so it might be, well, doc, I, I have to be at work at six o'clock and the sun doesn't rise till 6.30. How am I gonna see the sunrise? Okay, well, could you, could you wear you know, glasses at work? Could you do something to your computer? Oh yeah, can you get out for a sun break at, you know, at seven and say you wanna get your coffee break because that's when the sun comes. I mean, there are things. So you know, no one's helpless in all this. There, there is some flexibility. But you're going to have to ask. You might need to get special permission from your job IT department to get install some software that lowers the red light. You might shut the room, you know, the light off in your room until you might open the blind. I mean, there's there's so many small things you can do, but get some light in the morning and get as much light as you can because most of the time we're getting it in little snippets, little snack bites of light. Um, and then just go out and buy. You know, I mean, on my website, I, I think it's. There's one that's $10, these, these cheap plastic glasses. Yeah. Go out and buy them and just do that. And you might look really funky looking. I mean, we look a little nicer. I think we're, we could we could pass in a crowd and not get you know too many fingers pointed at us. But um, even with the goofy looking ones, start that and see what happens. Because guess what? Not everybody wants to spend $200 on blue, blue light blocking glasses, especially if I have a prescription. So that makes them much more expensive. Yeah. But I'll say this. When you start realizing how great you feel with that $10 pair that you put over, um, you might want to invest $200. You know what I mean? You might not see that as a huge health expense anymore when you realize that when I don't use them, I notice it. I don't wake up. I don't have as much energy. I don't, you know, or I, I've lost weight because of them. I'm, I'm willing to invest. So you just got to start wherever you're at. Um, circadian rhythm is a downbeat and an upbeat it's a night and a day so you have to get both of those you can't just do the one yeah and hopefully as i added for you today is that remember before sunrise no blue light was designed so if you want to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night you know you can get a little red night light or something so you can see what you're doing but turning on that light you just zap yourself really bad uh computer work before the sun comes up that's another way Again, each one of these ways gets you differently uh, and it may take a long time, but if you do it chronically, you'll get worse. And the same good news is true. If you do these things, uh, these small baby steps chronically, things will start to get better. At what rate? That's the question. It depends how deep you're running. And uh, one final question is that we are on virtual mode. So a lot of children are actually schooling online now and we don't know when that's likely to change. And what do you think about the blue light exposure on kids? Because I know my son has an adrenal disorder. Uh, he's got a condition called congenital adrenal hyperplasia. So he doesn't produce cortisol and he's a steroid dependent child. But so I do have concerns that he's on the screen all day long, exposed yeah. to blue light. And uh, in the last one year, it's very strange that um, ever since we went virtual mode, his levels have been 
managed very poorly he's not coming into balance at all so what would your advice be for children yeah so a friend of mine who's a psychotherapist uh, we're working together we put a program specifically for parents uh, because of this problem i mean yeah. she's yeah. seeing uh, so many more kids come into a practice with depression and anxiety and so um we absolutely are going to see phases of this because you know it's all cumulative cumulative and we just changed education so that now screen time went from most of the time the kids were not on a screen face to face this close maybe for about four or five hours a day you know after school and now we made school so we doubled the screen time overnight you know and um it, it's having a major impact and so this is why you know you and I talking is helpful because I can't change the education system by myself. You can't change it. Maybe we can get some people together and we can over time change it. But right now, I'm a parent. You're a parent. How do we deal with that? You know, and uh, like my kids get Chromebooks uh, through the school, and the Chromebooks have a lot of high intense security. But you know, there is a setting to take uh, some of the red light out you know, by going into the settings. And, and unfortunately, it doesn't save the settings because the, the IT is, is so hard security on there. They don't want the kids to be able to download games and stuff, and I get that. But they're also, so what does that leave us? That leaves us with changing the setting every single time. That leaves us with putting films over the, over the screens. That leaves us with wearing glasses. So we do have, between the path of the screen and the brain, we have all that space that we have control of as parents. Mm. You know, you can say, well, the school won't let me change the, the, the install software. Okay, but we gotta do something different, you know? Um, and we're gonna have to do that to help kids until it becomes such a big problem that this, you know, is, is more mainstream that, you know, they'll come with software already installed. You know, they'll come with, the option to use that, and it'll be recommended not only by you know somebody like a sleep specialist like myself, but by the school. Um, but you know how far off is that in the future? I don't know. So in the meantime, we have to do everything we can and just be really savvy, and provide extra tools to deal with it. So it's going to be glasses. It's going to be films, yellow and red films that block out some of the blue light. Because if you can't change the screen, you can you can glue you know you can tape on a a, a screen protector essentially, you know, um, and, and these are things, you know, that I think hopefully at some point will be part of the, you know, the staple of, you know, all educational programs is that they're protecting the kids from this. Yeah. Great conversation. And we have a mantra on the podcast. So I want you to complete our mantra, which is if sleep is the new medicine, then how would you complete that for us? If sleep is the new medicine, you have to prioritize sleep above everything else, you know? Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's not an if it's, it's a sleep is the new medicine and you have to prioritize it. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, you can prioritize sleep today, or you can be part of the healthcare system tomorrow. And, um, you know, sleep is the only wellness factor that we probably have, um, the greatest impact on and don't realize. And if we took that, this, this information that we had and we all told one person about it, if we did it ourselves, got an improvement and we told one person and we could get people to really wake up that we have created this, this problem all ourselves, 
from our economies and our, 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 our personal addiction, because you know, we're all kind of addicted to these things. Um, we can, we, that's how we can change the world. But we, you know, it can only start one person at a time. And then when enough people can vote with the dollar, we can either all have this as, as a, you know, a, a way to mitigate it because it'll be part of the solution or we'll all you know, be so aware that we'll, we'll put the companies out of business that don't want to help us you know, maintain this. Wonderful conversation, Dr. Rosenthal. And I wish really that we had more time, but where can people find you if they want to know more about the work that you do? I know that I haven't quite found you on Facebook yet. I've found you on LinkedIn. So uh, is there a space, a website, anything that, of course, I will well, link everything to yeah, the course. Talking about stuff like this, um, I do that on my website, quantumsleep.net. Um, you know, I have uh, both some, you know, other, other kind of podcast type stuff talking about this. I have some of the resources that I've mentioned so people can find them, um, you know, because it's always the question, well, you know, are these glasses good? And I, I haven't tested every glasses that have been made and, uh, you know, at least, but the things that I, that I use and I know I've tested, I can recommend so people know at least they're getting something because the details matter. Um, you know, uh, I think, um, you know, my Facebook site is quantum sleep RX. Uh, so it's facebook.com slash quantum sleep RX, you know, and I will post some interesting articles and things there as well. But I, I, you know, I go through phases because again, what did we just talk about? The more screen time, the worse. And yes. so I'll go through phases. I've been doing a lot of LinkedIn posts as, as that's where you saw some of my stuff. And then I'll go through periods when I'll just do Facebook posts for you know a couple of months. But I usually kind of devote my attention only to one sort of uh, you know aspect of it for a while, and then I get tired of that, and then I go to something else. And um, but um, yeah, there's a lot of people talking about this now. Once you wake up to it, you'll start seeing it more and more. Yes. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being with us here today. And I think that we haven't spoken all that I'd like to ask you. So I may just invite you back at some point oh, for something know. else. <laughs> it was a great. pleasure having you today. So it's very grateful for your time. Yes, I'm so grateful to allow me to share this message. And uh, I hope people uh, will get this information. everyone i hope you enjoyed the show just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only this is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional this information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services if you are looking for personal help on your health journey do seek out a medical practitioner please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional it is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle 
that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. 